0: Okay, welcome to our seventh podcast here at Santa Church. I'm Pat Nemmers. I'm joined with our counseling pastor, Kurt DeGraff. And uh, if you thought you saw him last week, you did. Actually, he was uh, on uh, board last week talking about one of the other commandments and some of the uh, counseling applications to that. And glad to have you back. And we're not going to go as long today because we really want to give way to uh, something we uh, we did up uh, almost two years ago. And I'll get back to that with a couple that had, uh, had a, a major failure in their marriage. And if you haven't been with us uh, uh, following the Saylorville uh, sermons uh, and the series is on the Ten Commandments, I just preached the Seventh Commandment uh, last Sunday, uh, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And um, so this podcast is going to be uh, sort of a follow-up to that, an encouragement to you. Uh, we encourage you to listen to the sermon. It's a sermon that we hope will give you encouragement. Uh, yes, we lay it out very clearly what adultery is and how you can avoid it and how you can... There are some factors and we made some comparisons to what uh, godly and ungodly people do, godly men and godly women do in their marriages and and, and particularly as it uh, pertains to um, uh, that which, you know, brings and often causes failure. So, um, so thanks for taking the time to watch this. And uh, so, Kurt, you have been uh pastor you have been a you've been in the ministry for over 40 years correct about 45 years and you were lead pastor for 36. so if i put my years of the lead pastor and your years of lead pastor that's about 70 really we have about 75 plus years of ministry together we We haven't seen it all (laughs) but we've seen a lot haven't we we have Uh, and uh in the process We've had a lot of mountaintop and valley experiences. We've seen marriages uh, fail and break our hearts. We've seen uh, marriages rescued, and that just gives us great blessing. Which is the video I'm referring to. It's a glorious video, and you've actually you've actually taken this video and they sort of exported it yourself in some of your own ministries, haven't you? I have in
1: uh, presenting counseling ministries, marital ministries. I have twice used this. It is a
0: very powerful tool. I highly recommend it to you. Yeah, it's really intended for those of you who uh, really, everybody should watch this video. I'm convinced everyone should watch this video, because even if you've never had a failure in your marriage, uh, you can appreciate the grace of God and the mercy of God in somebody who has, and to watch them so gloriously be restored it's really an encouraging uh, thing to watch uh but we're you know just let's just talk a little bit about adultery we did say that adultery we made it clear it's any form of sex outside of the confines of marriage and uh and it sort of unpacked itself in a lot of different ways um so let's just take a few moments here kurt uh because as a counseling pastor you've worked with a lot of troubled marriages I have. Uh, and so what are, let's just talk about adultery mm-hmm. adult proofing, so to speak, if that's even possible. How do we do that? How, what are some of the factors? What are some of the things we can do that can help couples to avoid this horrific pitfall? Uh,
1: let me say that as a counselor, I often use this analogy. I, I'd rather build a fence at the top of the cliff than park an ambulance below, i.e. I'd rather be involved in preventative counseling helping people to stop short of falling over the cliff. But we both know from our years of ministry that plenty of folks do go over the cliff. I just want to give a note of hope and encouragement about the nature of our God. I love the Lord's self-revelation to Moses when he asked God to show him his glory. and God self-revealed his name, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, and he defined himself as a God merciful and gracious, Mm. slow to anger, Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, showing faithfulness unto thousands. And then he goes on to say, and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. I'm so thankful we have a forgiving God. So, if in fact you've been involved in these kinds of sins, there's forgiveness with the Lord if you come clean, if you confess, if you repent. And then we help to restore people on the basis of God's word. So that's a part of what we want to say today. We well, want to give you hope and encouragement, but we also want to be, provide a preventative, uh, if you will, note from
0: Scripture on how to keep from going over the cliff. Yeah, and that very passage that you just alluded to that Moses said, as you shared, I thought of Jonah 4, because that Jonah quotes that passage and gives it as the very reason that he ran. Because in Jonah's mind, he didn't want to see the Ninevites repent. And so he remember he went and pouted and all of that kind. Of, he said, "I knew that you were that kind of a God. You were merciful and gracious, and all of these things." And, and I think that's worth pointing out because sometimes if you're not on the end where you you you've been faithful in your marriage, praise the Lord. But sometimes we can be judgmental towards those who've had a failure. Uh, we then, if we do that, uh, we're acting like Jonah. Uh, we forget that God is a merciful God. He is a gracious God. He's been merciful to all of us. He's been gracious to all of us. And, uh, you know, we need to be that way as well to those who struggle. Uh, that text is actually the most quoted text in the Old
1: Testament hmm. from Exodus 34 verses 6 and 7. It's quoted again and again and again throughout the Old Testament, putting the nature of God on display. But you asked me the question, what can we do to try yeah. to prevent this so, the Bible is very clear. Pastor's going to begin a, a message series in the, the fall from First and 2 Thessalonians. And chapter 4 speaks rather specifically to avoiding sexual immorality. And among the things it talks about is the importance of acquiring a mate, if the Lord should so lead you. And if you can't hold your passions in, according to 1 Corinthians 7, you need to find a mate within the Lord. It's got to be marrying in the Lord. But it also says, don't transgress and wrong your mate. That's 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 6a. Mm -hmm. Uh, The older translations say defraud, that is withhold sexual intimacy from your mate. You do wrong when you do that. And uh, I I think it's important for us to establish some things that that help us keep our marriage strong. Uh, You know, if you liken it to a a tire that goes flat, it 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 doesn't usually happen in just a moment. It It usually is a slow leak. That occurs over a period of time and there's a series of questions that are asked by people in the know that do a lot of this kind of counseling. I'll just share a few and maybe you can sure, interact with sure, me a few sure. questions you can ask yourself about your own marriage. <laughs> Have we been enjoying each other? Think about the implications of that. Have we been eating dinner together? <laughs> I'm a strong believer that there needs to be a family meal. It's one meal a day where you're eating together. Number three, have we been protecting our day off? It's easy to get really busy. So busy we really don't have time for our mate. And those of us in ministry, we're up against that regularly. Have we been praying together? That's really important. The family that prays together, couple that prays together, stays together. Those
0: are just a few. There's, there's many more here. I, I know you wrote some down too, Pastor. I did, and really, the the, the key word, the buzzword, almost is together. I mean, yeah. you're doing things together. You just alluded to several of them: praying together, and uh, and and even if if you're involved in a good church, ministering together, doing things yeah. together. Uh, my wife and I do almost everything together. We don't do everything together, and there are times to get away and do things on your own, and we're not against uh, that, but the importance of getting together ministering just hanging out together yeah. is just a wise thing because you the the you're to just to sort of double down on your analogy i've had those slow leaks uh those pinhole uh, uh leaks in the tire and I have been that one who will go up and fill up the tire at the gas station and, you know, check the pressure. It looks even with the others. And on I go, I haven't fixed the problem. I just put more air in it. Right. And sure enough, I end up at that same gas station two days later, pumping more air into it. So there's, uh, what are some of the ways that we can deal with, uh, if, with the pinhole? What are, I mean, what do we have to do? Uh, and what would those pinholes in our marriages be? What would be some of the things... That we're not doing that would that would lead to couples going away from each other and really then making themselves very vulnerable uh, To these pitfalls of adultery. Well, I regularly counsel couples
1: and currently almost always It's the number one issue that I'm addressing in the counseling office Mm. And one of the big things I see with regularity is there's a breakdown in communication Couples don't spend time together. They don't really talk beneath the level of the superficial you've got to go deeper. You've got to find out how they're doing. What can I pray about? What's bothering you? Do you sense anything that we need to really discuss that goes deeper? And I've been actually giving homework assignments to couples recently. I want you to do at least two of these a week, preferably every evening. But after supper, the kids are down. You sit down. You, you talk to each other. How are we doing? And you go back and forth, and then you, you pray together. I've been astounding that because couples, quite frankly, are not communicating well. That's where one of those slow leaks occurs. We just stop talking. Um, There are little frustrations. People start bickering with each other that they don't own it. They don't confess it. They don't ask forgiveness. They don't grant forgiveness. They stuff it, throw it under the carpet. And sooner or later, it's going to explode into something bigger. The tire will blow.
0: Yeah, so... uh actually spending time together quality time going a little deeper as you say Uh, what about uh what would you say to workaholics i mean there there are guys out there and women who think that they're being honorable as a wife or as a husband because I mean, they're putting in, you know, they're putting in 15, 16 hour days. I mean, they're working, you know, you got to keep the food on the table and you got to keep uh, the boat in the yard and you got to keep the, the pool field uh, full, uh, filled that is. And I mean, you got you to take care of all those shiny things that you own because you wouldn't have them if you didn't work all those. I mean, so I'm a faithful guy. I work all these hours. What would you say to a workaholic? One question,
1: who's going to be crying at your funeral? <laughs> Is not going to be your coworkers or your boss. It's going to be your family.
2: Hmm.
1: If you're anything like me, uh, what the ones I want to take to heaven with me start out with my own family. Hmm. I don't want to lose my kids. I don't want to lose my grandkids. Certainly don't want to lose my wife. So they need to be a priority, uh, not in the place of God. He He's always you know number one and got to be number one. But I have to communicate to men and women both. I said there's only one primary human relationship. And that's the marital relationship. Hmm. All others are secondary. Hmm. So don't allow anything or anyone else to take that
0: place of the one primary human relationship. And you're saying that work can do that very work easily. Work can do that very easily. Uh, the psalmist said, uh, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord watches the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And then he says, It's vain for you to rise up early and stay up late, for God gives his beloved sleep. So I look at that as a workaholic. That's a person rising up early, staying up late. He's not resting. He's not at peace. And I can tell you, if you're a workaholic, you don't have rest. You don't have peace because you're really not giving that to God and, mm-hmm. and giving the time that is needed to your wife or if if you're a workaholic woman, uh, to your husband. So time uh, and really um, intimacy. We talked a little bit about this in the message as well. Uh, it's, it's so crucial to a woman, isn't it? I mean, we're not we don't have a woman at the table here today, but we know that the women in our lives, our wives, and the wives that we encounter through counseling, they all tell the same thing, don't they? I mean, they the do. intimacy takes it's emotional. Place. It's long before the bed, isn't it? It is. If you will,
1: <laughs> women are crockpots and men are microwaves, sexually speaking, <laughs> and you got to warm it up gradually over time. And you do that, not just for effect's sake, but genuinely loving your wife, speaking truth into her, affirming her, encouraging her, building her up, praying with her. Those are the kind of things
0: that are very romantic to a moment. Mm -hmm. And I would even add knowing her, Exactly. uh, I have a little practical thing. Uh, uh, I didn't come up with this on my own, but I heard about it many, many years ago and I've, I've tried to practice it, not perfectly. The distance between the church and my home is not very long. I'm about three minutes away. So I don't get to practice this often, but this is how I do if I can. I uh, It was what you do is, guys, if you're on your way home, uh, if it takes say 10 minutes to get home, you have five minutes to think about your day, five minutes to think about all the work you were doing, five minutes to think about the stuff you're leaving behind, five minutes to think about all your employees and employers and and the stresses and all that. You have five minutes to think about that as you leave your workplace on your way home. The last five minutes and use a marker, uh, be it a billboard or a a building or maybe a, a set of lights you come to. But at that point you say, you, you just turn it off and you start thinking about your wife. What was she doing on this day? Who was she visiting? Uh, uh, who was she hanging out with? What were her appointments? And I found, Kurt, that a lot of times I've forgotten about those things, but suddenly I'm thinking about those and yep, yep, yep. And then when I get in the home, I'm prepared to have an intelligent, knowledgeable conversation with my wife about her day. And lo and behold, she's done the same thing for me. Uh, And she'll ask me how my day and and it's always special to my heart when she says how did your visit with and she'll name that person that tells me She was thinking about my day and uh, And she feels the same way when I do that
1: That's excellent advice We really this is first Peter chapter 3 live with your wife in an understanding way Mm. You got to make her your number one goal in life to understand Mm. and while women are the same in many respects each one is unique unto themselves, and we need to make them our primary study. If we do that, we'll bless them, mm. and they will naturally respond to us. Women are natural responders. Mm. But there's a sense in which every woman is from Missouri, the show me state. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And a, and, a, and a man may give all the rhetoric he wants, but until she sees a demonstration of genuine love and care, she's going to kind of push away. But we ought not to defraud each other. You can't make your husband pay. Yeah, I'm going to withhold sex from you. That That is not a biblical concept. Right, right. But a, a man can be kind and minister to his wife in
0: such a way that she's going to naturally want to respond to him in a physical way. And this gets back to knowing your wife, as 1 Peter 3 talks about. And, you know, the, the, the proverbial love languages. Uh, yeah. uh, my wife uh, responds to acts of service. When I do something uh, with a genuine heart for her, she's super responsive to that. Uh, words of affirmation are huge with some gifts are huge with others I would say know your wife Uh, you know just as we as we sort of you know make our way to this uh, video we really would like all of you to watch and to watch again if you've only seen it once Um, not everybody's done this real well and a number of us have we just it's like that slow leak the slow leak becomes a blowout and uh, marriages have failed Adulteries have occurred, uh, and uh, we want our our listeners, our watchers, to know that God is a merciful God. He is a gracious God. He will forgive uh, if we repent and turn back to Him, and of course, back to our spouses, which we urge you to do if you happen to be in that maze that I referred to on uh, on Sunday morning. And, and- as we set this up, again, I've used it
1: in my marriage conferences. Very, very powerful tool. But if the Spirit of God begins to convict you, own it. Go to your mate and say, you know what? I see the slow leaks. I, I, I have been sinning against you. Will you forgive me? So don't wait for the blowout. Don't wait for the blowout. You got to own it. You got to confess it. You got to ask forgiveness. And then we ought to be quick to forgive one another. If we do that, we put in a barrier to immorality and adultery yeah. that uh, usually
0: will not be overcome if, yeah. if we own our own sin. Yeah. Now, this video that we, we trust you watch is a powerful video. It's a powerful testimony. It's a real testimony. It was unrehearsed. Uh, let me just set it up a little bit for you because there's a couple of moments in this video, and you may have different moments. You may have a different uh, big takeaway. I, I'm going to share with you one that I had. Uh, just as a result of listening to the video, and being—I was actually part. I was the interviewer in it, but uh, you know the couple really steals the show, as you can imagine they would. But this is a couple that experienced a real-life infidelity. There are the tears you see in this video are real tears in the moment. Uh, you, as you'll see in this particular, with this particular couple, uh, the woman was the one who uh, uh, was unfaithful. But the husband, this was my big takeaway, Kurt, the husband in the middle of the video acknowledges, and I believe in tears as well, that while he wasn't guilty of infidelity, he was guilty. Uh, He was the workaholic. Mm -hmm. He was the one who was gone all the time. He was the one who was not providing the love and comfort to his wife. And while there's no excuse, and he wasn't making excuses, and she wasn't making excuses for her infidelity, but... He admitted that his, his unfaithful, his part of being unfaithful as a godly husband uh, aid and abetted, uh, you know, the in some ways, the near destruction of his wife. But God was faithful in bringing this whole thing back together. And we are excited about you watching this, the testimony of Brant and Amy Hambly. So thanks for joining us today, Pastor Kurt. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Uh, God bless you, and God bless your marriages. Brent and Amy thanks for inviting me into your home tonight to be able to go back and forth with you on your story. Um, This is very humbling to me. I'm very grateful for this moment and um, it's just been a joy to see what the Lord has and is doing in your life uh, in your lives actually and uh, your marriage over the past many years now over ten and while you two are both and you admit you're far from being perfect Uh, You're also far away now from the story that we're going to talk about tonight, and uh, it's a hard one, but I want to thank both of you for being willing uh, to share it with us uh, tonight.
2: It's something that we have actually prayed about for a while, and I think it's important for us to share it and Mm. um, to talk about it publicly now.
0: Well, it's been many years. In fact, we just figured out it's been like 10 years, so. um, And so I remember telling the two of you when this started to unpack itself and you were on the other side of the story, uh, there had been forgiveness and reconciliation and I said to you then, Brent and Amy, this is a story that's going to have to be told someday. Do You remember me telling you that?
2: Mm
3: -hmm. Yep.
0: Well, this is that day, so uh, this has been a long time coming. I know the two of you have been praying about this day, and uh, even this whole thing coming about is a God thing, which is very encouraging uh, to me. So I I remember getting a phone call from your your dad, uh, Brant, out of the blue, uh, being called to your home. And I knew something had happened, but he didn't really fully disclose what had happened. I can remember coming here and and seeing you, uh, Amy, you were broken uh weeping really curled up in a fetal position on a chair that's how i envision you and you were it was just and you were devastated over here completely beside yourself and then of course i was informed at that time that there was infidelity on your part and uh, and we knew that this was a crucial and very very critical moment for for everyone involved and uh so let's just let's just go with you first amy um Without reliving everything, um, because it's a shame to speak of those things which are done in secret according to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5. Uh, Tell us, if you would, how did you get into this sin and mess?
2: Well, I actually had just been given a promotion at my job where I worked. And there was a guy there that had actually started to show me lots of attention. And initially, I ignored it at first, I really did. And um, eventually, over time, I actually started to enjoy the attention. And something as innocent as a group of us, including him, would go and grab lunch together often, and which that led to just him and I grabbing lunch together. And um, that basically developed into a relationship. And um, I know the Bible talks a lot about the paths that you take and the path that you choose and where it will lead you. And I was definitely headed down a path of sin and complete destruction, which uh, resulted in me committing adultery. And it's something that I was living a double life, basically. I was living one life at work and one life at home, and I was doing everything I could to lie and maintain those lies just to keep myself from getting caught.
0: We often talk about, and you've heard this expression, you almost alluded to it, paths lead to places. That's Mm -hmm. an expression we use a lot at Sailorville church. And it really comes from the writer of Proverbs. And it comes from a situation uh, that talks about uh, the pathway of immorality. Paths do lead to places. That's Mm -hmm. why we have to deal with the path. And we'll come back to that in just a little bit. how uh, how how was how did this all get exposed? Did you just come clean on this, or was this something that, uh, was it not like that?
2: Yeah, no, I definitely, it was not like that at all. Um, as a matter of fact, there was a point in time that uh, Brant took me aside after several things leading up to that, and actually flat out asked me, are you having an affair? And I denied it, I hmm. said no, and to be completely honest i was terrified in that moment and i was afraid of getting caught and i remember thinking to myself i'm gonna have to be more careful which devastates me thinking back on that now um i mean i knew exactly what i was doing and i just continued right in it
0: it's interesting that you said you lived this double life but apparently everything wasn't good in the home because you were something was wrong you wouldn't just ask such a question
3: right yeah um and this is not this is more of a failure mm-hmm. on my part um about a year before this we had planned a romantic getaway it was on our anniversary two year anniversary actually and and we were not a couple that even when we struggled it wasn't that we were having these fights that's not what was going on we were just Growing apart, but on this trip, we fought, and I mean it was so bad that when we left that trip, we drove all the way back from Chicago and did not say a word. Either one of us did. That continued on for two weeks, and when I say we didn't say a word, I mean not a word for two weeks. I would come home from work, I would look away from her, I didn't say hi, and then we'd go to church and pretend nothing was wrong. Um, and that was should have been a sign, because. That, that's not gonna happen if there's not some problems there. But then, as it continued on throughout that year, um, people came to me. My grandma would be an example. Um, she actually went to my aunt, and, she, and my grandma's not in gossip. She doesn't talk about family members. But she told my aunt, she goes, I give them a year and wow. they won't be married. Wow. And they got back to me. And, and I thought to myself, I do have problems. But I was too prideful. To do anything about it, I didn't talk to my wife about it. I got angry that somebody was talking about my marriage, but she was right because we wouldn't have lasted another year. My dad came to me and he said, "Your marriage has issues, and you." He goes, "You need to go to counseling. I don't know what I don't know what it is, but something's wrong in your marriage." And it was. I've talked to my dad several times that I finally went and talked to Amy and I was like, we're gonna do counseling. And I talked to her, asked her, and she's said, I'm not interested in doing counseling. We, we'll just work on it together. No, I'm not having an affair. But then being a the leader of the home, I still did nothing. And I mean, it was a couple of weeks later when I was getting more and more suspicious and I walked in one night late and I was noticing that she's coming to bed far later than me. It was probably 1, 2 in the morning, something like that. And so I went in and she was on the computer and she was emailing somebody. And she's tried to hide it. And I realized, and I, well, I, I went and I saw that email before she could get it closed out. And I realized she was having an affair.
0: So that's when it was all exposed at that time. And of course, nothing new under the sun here. Our <laughs> sin will find us out, right? Yep. So this is that it was the next day that I received this phone call. And um, before we hear from Amy about, you know, how God brought you to repentance, uh, we all agree there's no excuse for what Amy did. And you've already admitted to living an adulterous double life the whole nine yards. But neither do we ignore the fact that when a man does not act in a Christ honoring way as a husband, he leaves his wife vulnerable, and while there's not an excuse for the sin, um, you kind of see yourself as having done that, don't you? And, and, and I want you to respond to that. What, what did you? What role did you play that put your life, your your wife's life, that is, in jeopardy?
3: Well, so the the interesting thing about this, some of this is revealed to me as I'm going through counseling. You know that my blindness to my own faults was exposed. And so, and so there's more than just what I'm talking about now because we don't have time, but I can think of three pretty big things in our marriage that I was blind to. First of all was busyness. I was so busy that we basically didn't have a marriage. Um, I'd been busy before that, but for the year leading up to this, I never saw my wife. The only time I really saw it was maybe on Sundays. Um, and it wasn't like I was doing bad stuff. I was working constantly. It was the most successful year I've ever had for my business. I was going to seminary. Um, I was taking a huge load. I was in the process of building a house. I mean, stuff that, in and of themselves, are not horrible things. Mm-hmm. But absolutely ignoring my wife during that time. Wow. And, uh, and we found later, I mean, we ended up taking a scalpel and ruthlessly just eliminated stuff out of our schedule when this is all said and done. Um, the, the second thing is, is I wasn't leading her spiritually at all. So I was going to seminary. I was actually teaching some at church, like a couple of times I was in Sunday school. I was leading a small group, but at home I was no leader. I wasn't even there to be a leader. We didn't pray together. We didn't read the Bible together. We had nothing. There's no real foundation at that time. and. And I recognize that now. And it's one of those things where, you know, you see some of the stuff now, it can still creep back into our marriage. But we both, it's a lot more stark to us now. <laughs> but there
0: are probably people watching this right now and they're thinking, I can't, I mean, that's not good, but there's, there's no excuse for what she did. I mean, you're, you're making it sound like uh, there's an excuse for what she did. You're not, you're not saying that.
3: No, no, absolutely not. There, there's, there's no excuse for it. But at the same time, I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. I wasn't Mm -hmm. leading her at that time. I was supposed to be the leader of my home, and I was non existent.
0: Well, there is something to the scripture that calls our wives the weaker vessel. And, uh, you know, I don't want to, that's not a chauvinistic remark, it's just a true remark. There there are emotional elements to and aspects to our, our women that we don't have, and that's why they make us better, and hopefully we can make them better. Anywhere, at any rate, this marriage was not functioning properly at the time. Mm. Just the same, you had uh, taken the path to a place you shouldn't have gone and you were doing this for a period of time. Uh, then, as God would have it, you get caught. Uh, you're exposed. You, you got caught with your hand in the cookie jar, so to speak, as the old expression has it. How did you come to repentance, true, Biblical, Godly, sorrow and repentance?
2: Well, at first, to be honest, I was actually angry that I got caught, that I allowed myself. And while I was in that moment, I remember thinking, I've ruined everything, and there's no way that Bran is ever going to want to stick with me. And I remember he actually left that night, and I didn't think he was going to come back. And I thought, why would he come back? You know, I've been a horrible wife, and it was while I was left alone that I just couldn't stop thinking about how horrible it was, but I was so relieved that I got caught and that I could stop living this double life that I'd been in. And it actually was a freeing feeling almost. And I mean, leading up to this, I was definitely miserable in my sin. And um, I remember later on reading the passage in Psalm 32, where it talks about how David described his sin, that his bones ached and that he groaned all day Mm. and that God's hand was heavy upon him that described me to a T. And I didn't want to be like that anymore. It was stressing me out and it was miserable. And so that night when Brant found me, yes, I was angry at first, but at the same time I was so relieved. And I remember when he finally did come back and when you came over, I remember you walking in and the first thing you did was you just hugged me. And I didn't know why you would want to hug me. Because why would anyone want to hug someone that's done something so ugly and it seemed unforgivable to me. And I was definitely broken. And I wanted to be done and I was very sorry, but it, I mean, it really took me days to um, admit everything to Brant even. But I was definitely done and I was relieved.
0: That's very powerful and I do remember that. Even as you shared it, I, I remember it. and. Um, Brant, um, you said a little bit earlier or actually Amy said you left that night. Maybe it was you that, you that said that but um, you did eventually forgive Amy and so tell me what was... How did you process forgiveness and was it, was it an excruciatingly hard thing for you to,
3: to do? I was extremely angry. Mm. I was devastated. I left not just of just because I was angry. I'll be honest, I mean, I thought about ending my life that night. I mean, I was drove down the road trying to find a place to run into a bridge. And um, I called my parents. And really, they kind of t- helped talk me through it. And they were like, don't do anything. <laughs> mm. Go back home, we're coming. So, you mm. know, they came. So forgiveness was not at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, My first thought was I'm getting a divorce and it's gonna, I'm tomorrow. I mean, I planned on Monday morning going into attorney. Forgiveness wasn't even something I considered at that point. So, and my parents tried to talk me through it and I wasn't listening. But honestly, when you came over, one of the very first things you asked me, you said, are you willing to work on this marriage? And up to that point, I would have, I said no. I don't even know if I said yes right away because it was not something that I had any intention to do. Um, For goodness, it just wasn't a strength of mine at all, And but you were relentless and you said, I got to know. Are you going to work? You made a promise until death do you part. And I realized you were right at that point point. and I said, yeah, I'm willing to work on the marriage. And And we started talking about forgiveness. And you talked about that, you know, forgiveness is a decision. Mm -hmm. And you talked about what it meant to forgive. Don't just say it. But when you forgive somebody truly, it's like it's gone. It's not something that you can hold against them. And at this point, I wanted to hold it against her. And I knew that there was no way on earth that I was going to be able to forgive her. On my own, and I remember that I knew I needed to, but I felt like I couldn't. Mm. And I prayed about it, and I said, God, I need your help on this. And honestly, God gave me the gift of forgiveness—not that He's forgiving mm. me, but gave me the gift to be able to forgive, just like He forgave me when Amen. He died on the cross for our sins. Um, later on in in the process, I remember. My mom had talked to me about forgiveness, and she said, You do understand that Christ died for your sins before you sinned, before you were born. It's not something you had asked for. It's not something that you had earned, but he still was able, he was willing to die for you and forgive you. And that kind of stuff meant a lot to me. And God gave me that forgiveness that, frankly, was fairly, it wasn't as excruciating as you might think it was. And it was complete, and and I'm so thankful for that. Mm, that through the power of God, that that became possible. Because if it didn't, I believe I'd be so bitter of a person. I don't know if I, I don't think our marriage would have survived. Right. And I think I'd be bitter to this day. And I think it would. And mm. I'd, so I'm just so thankful that. And I truly forgive her. Mm. I love Amy <laughs> more today. That I thought was possible, and that was from God.
0: That's beautifully put, Grant, especially when I think of the scripture that says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And um, it's the basis of your forgiveness that you've been extended from God that you were able to forgive Amy. And yet, you had that theology before all of this took place. So, this was the most severe test of your life, wouldn't you agree? Yeah. And and so, did you look Amy in the eye? Were you, where were you? Do you remember anything like that where you looked at Amy and said, I forgive you, I fully forgive you for what you have done?
3: I did, I don't remember exactly when and where, mm-hmm. but I know that, because I know it was either, it might have been right away, I can't mm-hmm. remember if it was the same yeah. day or if it was within the next week or mm-hmm. so that I did. Yeah.
2: It was that very day was I it? remember. Because I remember it was instant and it was right away and I was so thankful and I just remember thinking that Brant was a true picture of how Christ forgave me. He forgave me completely and fully and even now i believe him and know that when he looks at me he doesn't see that so
0: that's beautiful that was a question i was going to ask you what take us there take us to your heart here amy you sought forgiveness from the lord uh when you repented you were you had said you were broken do you remember crying out to god and asking for forgiveness through this whole thing
2: yeah i yeah definitely i mean I several days I was in anguish over my sin Mm. really I mean um, I remember that same Psalm 32 when David talks about when he did finally confess his sin and admit his transgressions that he knew fully the love of Christ and um, I still cling to Psalm 130 when it says if you kept a record who could stand O God and I know his love Um, is great for me. And I I know it, and I believe it, and I feel it. And that's how Brant is towards me.
0: I love that psalm, because the next line says, but there's forgiveness with Mm -hmm. you that you may be feared. So God has granted you forgiveness. Your husband has granted you forgiveness. And um, it's a beautiful, beautiful story. And I'm so thrilled that you would share it. So tell us, tell us now from a practical standpoint, just for a few minutes uh, on a from a practical perspective, what safeguards did you put in there? I know that we did a safeguard in my office. You might want to talk a little bit about that, but what other safeguards, talk a little bit about that and what safeguards did you guys install that uh, would kind of bring back the trust that needed to be reinstalled in your marriage?
2: Well, I know for one, I know Brant said the comment earlier, we took a scalpel to our schedule. Hmm. And that really is, I mean, we really did that. Hmm. I know the very next morning, I called my place of work and I quit my job mm. and I never went back. Um, we, Brant actually dropped out of seminary. He um, cut back tremendously on his work hours. He even uh, went before his um, everyone he worked with and apologized to them and said, "If my marriage is struggling, I don't want your marriage to struggle, mm. and we need to really change how we, you know, go about hours and." <laughs> um, I stopped doing music at church and we just really cut everything out. Um, We stripped everything down and really for the next year we just spent every moment working on our marriage and we spent every moment together and we didn't do it alone. We didn't do it just the two of us, we brought people in that could come alongside us and help us and keep us accountable and pray for us. I remember sitting down with some of our closest friends and telling them. And that was really hard mm-hmm. because I didn't want them to know that stuff about me. Mm-hmm. But it was important for us to tell them so that they could walk through us walk through it with us mm-hmm. and to hold us accountable. And I mean they do that even now. And um you know there's even things now that we realize if it's headed down that path, we know to stop it and take a look and we know where that leads and, and to be proactive about, you know, keeping our marriage right. safe.
0: Right. Would you add anything to that, Brent?
3: She said a lot of it. <laughs> yeah.
0: There was a moment where, I mean, it's probably good from a practical perspective, from those who'd be watching this, uh, they're pulling themselves out of a uh, of, uh, life of infidelity, there's an adulterous relationship going on, maybe they got caught, maybe they didn't, I mean, with the two of you, we actually went into my office. Uh, that was another very hard thing to do for everybody involved, but a necessary thing because in order to protect you and or protect your mind as well, we had to call this individual up and you had to personally speak and what happened there? what did you would you say?
2: Um yeah, I remember just saying, "I've sinned against my God, and I've sinned against my husband, and I've repented and asked God for forgiveness and You know, this is done.
0: Yeah, and I heard it. Brand heard it, and it was over. So that was another safeguard, wasn't it? So
2: there's one other aspect to that
3: that some people might not think of. I was very angry at that guy, very angry. Um, For weeks and weeks, every night I would go to bed, and I would dream about, I would beat him all night. I'd never seen the guy before, but that's what I would dream about. I would wake up sweating and exhausted, and I remember talking with Kevin and Jeannie, and I told them that. I said, I can't sleep every night, that's what I think about. And they quoted, was it uh, like First John 3, I think? First mm-hmm. um, John 3 talks about, you know, if you hate your brother, you know, you have murder, mm-hmm. it's like murder. And she goes, you have murder in your heart. You know what, you have to forgive him too. And I said, he's never asked me for forgiveness. Why would I have to forgive him? And she goes, and did Christ come and talk to you before he died on the cross? (laughs) (laughs) So an important aspect of it for me was actually having to forgive him. That was much more difficult Mm. to forgive him than it was my wife who I already loved. Yeah, yeah. So, and that to me that was a safeguard Mm. also to prevent bitterness in my own heart against him.
0: The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter four, to put off the old man and put on a new man, which is created in righteousness. So you've talked a lot about putting off, you both said put the scalpel and you, you got rid of some of that busyness and all that. And you have alluded to your friends. You, that was a big, big deal to talk to your closest friends. Okay. What are some of the other things that have happened in your life from the putting on perspective that have, has helped to resurrect your marriage?
3: Well, we'd start, we've, we had to rebuild it. We started out, you know, we got rid of everything. And then when we rebuild it, we rebuild it together. Um, mm-hmm. Instead of having separate ministries and separate lives that we had created over the years. Um, I mean, one of the things that, you know, a lot of people know that we do foster care. Mm-hmm. Um, and God's given us both a love for these kids that come into our home. But that is a team effort. Um, Amy can't do it alone, and I certainly can't do it alone. Um, so we, it, it's something that probably, had we not gone through some of the stuff we've had, I don't know if I'd have that type of a love for these kids in, in a non-judgment way towards the situations that are out there, because all of a sudden I realize that I'm not quite as great as I thought I was. Um, we've uh, been able to talk to other couples as well about the struggles that we've had in our own marriage. Um, What are some of the other stuff that we've?
2: Well, one of the things I was thinking about going back to the foster care thing is, you know, with foster care, there comes a lot of emotions. There's great highs and lots of joy that it brings, but also, you know, it really really does bring lots of heartache too. Hmm. And I feel like through those things that we have experienced, it really has made us strong and it's really forced us to go to each other and go to God and really just, um, you know, seek out each other's comfort. And, and it's something that I love being able to do that with him. And it definitely, like he said, is something that I think we make a pretty good team. And <laughs> it, it's something that I'm so thankful that we're able to do it together.
3: Well, instead of this destroying us, which it could have, God showed his power He's brought us together, but in every aspect of our life, where, like Amy said, we do we kind of we feel like a team, and I mean it's everything. Even if whether it's we both like baseball, you know, or it's we serve together. We have the same friends where before we had we were creating separate friends and separate lives, and it's just been amazing.
0: This is really good and practical stuff. Again, there are going to be people out there watching this whose their marriages are on the rocks, okay? You got men that are not leading their wives. They're not showing them godly affection. Women that are crying out for that kind of affection. What would you say to those couples right now that are struggling Uh, regardless of whether or not there's some kind of infidelity taking place? What would you say to them, Amy?
2: Well, it's never too late. I think God is so powerful and he can give you the victory Hmm. through anything Hmm. and um yeah it's never too late and to forgive
3: amen i believe in counseling so much more than Mm -hmm. i did before i was telling you guys earlier that i feel like that instead of constantly being used as something that is the latch last-ditch effort,
0: like a crisis situation, like a
3: crisis situation, it should be more like an oil change mm. and more of a preventative maintenance with mm. people. I think people should be going in for tune-ups, even if it's not a, an official counseling session. But you need to have those outside eyes on your relationship that are willing to talk to you. Mm. And I also encourage people if you see a marriage that's struggling do what some of the people that came to our marriage and started talking to me. I reacted poorly, mm-hmm. but I still heard it.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And I'm so thankful for those people because mm-hmm. it could have been even worse mm-hmm. had they not come to me and talked to me about it.
0: That's really great. <clears throat> Brant and Amy, there, there are lots of marriages, some in our, your very own church. Uh, that are not unlike yours in that they have had. There have been a, There's been a failure. Uh, they, there's been repentance and forgiveness has been offered, but they're not going public with their with their former fall, uh, and that's okay. Uh, this the intention of this is not to get hundred people to do the same thing the two of you are doing. Uh, we want them to know that uh, that's okay. But there's also going to be probably critics out there. They're going to say that this is exploiting, uh, you know, you're exploiting something that's already been forgiven by God. Uh, How might you respond to those critics who might say, right now, why are you even doing this?
2: Well, I know we've said before, and it's actually something that we have prayed about for years. Um, You know, in what way can God use this Hmm. for his glory? And if it's even to help one marriage that's struggling, that would be worth it. And I also think there's something um, good about publicly confessing sin as well, and um, almost healing in a way.
3: Yeah. Amen. Yep. The timing of this is pretty amazing. You've kind of alluded to this. Go ahead and tell the story that Okay. <laughs> so uh, I got a call from you, and you asked if we would be interested in telling this story. And I told you, I said, it's amazing timing Mm. because number one, like Amy said, we've been praying about this for years, but it wasn't long before this that we were on a short term mission trip in Brazil and a Brazilian couple shared with us a very similar story to what Amy and I went through in our marriage and it ministered to us Mm. in a unique way. And I remember we'd already been praying about it before, but at that point, Amy was told me, she says, I think it's time for us to tell our story mm-hmm. and not maybe a month later you called mm-hmm. and you asked us. Yeah. And it was just like a God thing that now is the time. It's not a fun story to tell, <laughs> yeah. but it's definitely one that, that needed to be told.
0: Brand, Amy, I hope that what comes out of this is you have people privately coming to you because you can speak truth and love into their lives and give them the hope that they so much need. It gives me great joy to be your pastor, to, be, to have been your pastor 10 years ago when this all happened, to see all this unpack itself like it has, to see the fruit of your lives over time. It just gives me great joy. And I want to personally thank you for taking the time to share your story.